I want to tell you about my beautiful mother. Some of you know her, you've met her. Her name is Wilma Joy Hart. I tell you her middle name because it's important for the story I'm about to tell. Wilma Joy Hart. She was here last weekend. She was visiting from Michigan. And while she was here, I was remembering how she used to wake me up in the mornings when I was growing up, you know, before school. I want you just to picture this now. Picture 14-year-old Nathan sleeping peacefully, soundly in my dark room when Wilma Joy Hart at 6.30 a.m. would come bounding into the room, flip on the light switch, and you know what she would do? She would sing. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you're feeling fine. Does anyone have a mom like that? Does anyone grow up? Testify, Eric, anyone else? You feel my pain? This is how she woke me up in the mornings. I hated it. The reality is nobody really likes a wake-up call, even if it's a pleasant one, you know, even if it's done by Wilma Joy Hart. Wake-up calls are not fun for anybody. And the scripture that Kathy just read for us is a wake-up call. It was delivered to an early church, a church in a place called Sardis. In the first couple of chapters of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven different churches. They were spoken, they were dictated by Jesus from glory, by Jesus to a man named John, and John wrote them down on scrolls, and then they were hand-delivered to these seven churches. And this one that Sardis got was a very unpleasant wake-up call. John, can you put verse 1 up there for just a moment? I want you to picture this now. I want you to picture this church, this early group of Christians, and they're living in a place called Sardis, and they've heard this rumor that Jesus has written a letter for them. Can you imagine hearing that? Hey, everybody, we got an email from Jesus. <laughs> Gather around. We're going to read it out loud. Shh, quiet down. Here it comes. Can you imagine them hearing this? So here they sit. The scroll has been unrolled. Everyone's listening with careful ear, and it says, I know your works. See this halfway through? I know your works. Maybe they're thinking, oh, Jesus has heard about our works. <laughs> Go on. You have the reputation of being alive. Our reputation precedes us. What else, Jesus? <laughs> oh, but you are dead. And then it says in the next verse, wake up. Now this is a harsh and unpleasant wake-up call. I would imagine when this letter was read out loud, there was dead silence that came over the congregation when they heard this wake-up call. So why might we be studying this text tonight? We're a brand new church. We're alive, aren't we? Are we in a live church? So why do we need to study this? Well, many of you know that we're in a sermon series now that we're calling a theology of the local church. And tonight, we're going to look at what it means to be not just in a live church, not just in a wake church, but one that remains awake, one that stays awake. I don't know about you, but I never want us to get a letter like this from Jesus. I want us to be able to avoid getting a wake-up call from Jesus. So if we're going to do that, if we're never going to get a letter like this, if we're going to stay awake, if we're going to stay alive as a church, we need to look at this text and find out ways that we can keep each other accountable, keep each other awake. Because even though we're alive and we're awake right now, we can't take that for granted. It's kind of like being physically fit. 
You know, I really love when I get to a place where I've been running and working out and I feel fit, and I wish I could just coast. I wish I could just be like, oh, good, I'm fit. I can just not work out anymore and stay fit the rest of my life. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? It doesn't work that way. In the same way as a church, just because we're alive, just because we're awake right now, doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. We have to hold each other accountable. We have to stay awake together. So there's some things in this text that we're going to look at tonight. Ways that if we ever sense, if we become a dying church, if we become a church that starts falling asleep, there's things in this text that we can do to stay awake. You know, it's a dark world out there. And there's a lot of churches that in the darkness are falling asleep. Maybe you can picture a dying church or two in your mind right now. We might have entitled this sermon, How to Stay Awake in a Dark, Dark World. So how do we do that? If we ever start nodding off, if we ever start becoming spiritually dead as a congregation, what can we do? Well, the first thing I see in the text is that we might just need to reconnect with the Father. We might need to reconnect with the Father. It's possible that we can get disconnected from him. John, can you put verse 2 up there? I'll show you what I mean, and then I'll explain how this is saying that we might need to reconnect with the Father. Here's what it says in verse 2. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I find this very interesting. This church in Sardis, they seem to have a lot of works. Jesus mentions them twice in this short letter. They seem to have a lot of ministry programs and things going on. But do you see this word complete? Jesus says to them, your works are not complete. Now, in order to explain that this might mean he, they might need to reconnect with the Father, I want you to picture something right now in your mind's eye. I don't know about you, but at some grade level in school, I can't remember which grade, I had a science teacher who did a little experiment with us. And he gave us all a battery and a light bulb and two wires. Did anyone else get this assignment when you were in school? And our job was to do what? It was to complete the circuit, to connect the battery to the light bulb with the wires. And what would happen? The light bulb would turn on. You were completing the circuit. I think Jesus, when he uses this word complete, I think he's talking in something like that, terms like that. They have works, they're busy, they're doing ministry, they're doing programs, but they're not connected to the source. This is interesting because we could be a busy church. We could remain a highly active church, but also be spiritually dead if we're disconnected from the Father. That should startle us a little bit. We might even, like Sardis, have the reputation of being alive because look how busy they are. Look how much stuff they have going on. But Jesus says it might be possible that you are dying even though you're busy because you might be disconnected from the Father. I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus is talking about here because he uses the same word at another time in his ministry. He's at the Last Supper. It's John chapter 15. He's talking to his disciples. I want you to see this. See this last word here, full? The ESV translators have translated the same word in this text as full. It's the same word in the one we just read that says complete. Now listen, watch how Jesus is trying to connect people's works to the Father. Here's what he says to his disciples. If you keep my commandments, 
You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It may be full. See what Jesus is doing here? He's reconnecting them to the Father. Oh, sure, they can, have, they can follow commandments. They can even have the appearance of joy. But if they're not connected to the source, if they're not connected to the Father, they will be incomplete. They will be incomplete works. They will be incomplete obedience to commandments, even incomplete joy. I think this is a good word for us, Stanwish, because I have a feeling that if we're ever going to become a dying church or a sleepy church spiritually, I have a feeling we'll keep up appearances for a while. We're, a pretty, we're pretty good at being busy. There's a lot of, may I say it, type A personalities in this congregation, people with high energy and resources. I have a feeling if we're ever going to fall asleep, we'll keep a reputation of being busy. So we should pay attention to this. If we sense that we're a dying church, we might just need to reconnect with the Father, reconnect with the source so that we're not just doing works, but we're doing complete works. Now, this is a harsh word, I realize. This, this letter that's so short to the church in Sardis, you might be sitting there thinking, man, is Jesus always this harsh? But the reality is, if you look at this, he's actually speaking a word of grace to them. He says, wake up. But he doesn't just say, you're dead, and therefore I'm going to leave you to the side. Look again at verse 2 of our reading today. You see what Jesus is doing here. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. See, even as he's speaking a harsh word to them, he's also starting to fan into flame. He's starting to bring life back. Can you just picture a, a, a campfire right now? You know, early on in the campfire, there's lots of activity. There's lots of flame. There's lots of heat. But eventually it starts to collapse down and it just becomes embers. I picture Jesus hovering over a fire like that and he sees the life is starting to go out of the fire and he starts fanning it back into flame. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Jesus isn't just leaving them for dead. He's breathing life back into them by his grace. They need to reconnect with the Father and his grace leads us to the second thing that I see in this text which we might need to do with one another. If we ever become a church that starts falling asleep or a church that starts to die, we need to reconnect with the Father, but we also need to remember the Son. We need to remember the Son. We need to remember what Jesus did for us. Let's pick up the story now in verse 3. Here's what it says. This very, this very word that I've just used. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Remember what you received. Remember what you heard. He's speaking this to a church that existed in the first century. They didn't have what we have, right? They didn't have the four gospels bound together with the Old Testament. They didn't have the story all bound in one place. They had to receive it. They had to hear it. He's talking about the preaching of the gospel. The simple story that God came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, who was obedient to the Father's will, even unto death, death on a cross. 
the simple gospel is that when he went to the cross, when he died there, he was absorbing the sins of the whole world, all the evil, all the badness, all the consequences of all of our sins. He was taking that upon himself. And not only that, he rose again three days later to conquer death. He says, remember that. Remember the gospel. Remember what you received and what you heard. What did they receive? What did they hear? It was the simple story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. I find it fascinating that this church, which was so early and so new, there might have been people in this church who were alive when Jesus walked on the earth. And even they somehow forgot to keep telling the story. They were gathering together, and I assume there was preaching happening. I assume there was teaching happening. I assume there was ministry happening. But somehow they forgot to tell the story of the gospel. They started doing it in some other way. Now, I want to just speak on behalf of the pastors here tonight. We need you to hold us accountable to this. Because it's easy. I've seen a lot of churches out there. I've seen dying churches, sleepy churches, that just forgot to preach the gospel. If you ever hear Pastor David roll out a new sermon series that's like, I don't know, five steps to your best life now or something like that, I'd like to hear that from you, David, but it's not the gospel, okay? Churches that preach series like that, I, I think are sleepy or even dying churches. We have to preach the gospel. We have to remember the Son. We have to reconnect with the Father, but we also have to remember the Son. If we don't, if we forget like they did, we might start falling asleep spiritually. We might have good life tips. By the way, Pastor David is an awesome pastor. Can I get an amen for that? He's going to preach the gospel all the time. And if he doesn't, I'm going <clears> to... <throat> Here's what you need to do. He might need a wake-up call. If you ever get that sermon series from David, you know, 10 tips to being, I don't know, physically fit. That's, that's the one he would design. If you ever see that sermon series, here's what you need to do. You need to go into David's office with an alarm clock. Or, you know what, sing the song that my mom sang. And say, wake up, you're falling asleep. You got to reconnect with the Father, but also remember the gospel. Remember the Son. But all the while, and by the way, if you can't tell, this sermon is going to have a Trinitarian structure. If we are falling asleep as a church, we might need to reconnect with the Father. We might need to remember the Son, remember the gospel but all the while rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Somehow this early church, the church in Sardis, they stopped doing that. That's what I think. Let's go to verse one again, John. We'll look at this a minute. It says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, what does this mean? Do we suddenly realize that there are seven Holy Spirits? No. This is the book of Revelation, so a lot of things are written in a symbolic format. Clearly, there's one Holy Spirit. We have this map I want to show you. When he says seven stars, he's talking about these seven churches. Go home and read Revelation 2 and 3. You can read the other six letters. Sardis is the fifth one. And if you look at the ancient trade route in what is now Turkey, you see those seven letters in Revelation address each one of these cities where the early church existed. And Sardis is just the fifth one in the line. That's the seven stars. And when he says, when he refers to the seven spirits and the seven stars, Jesus is reminding them that their church was birthed 
with the power of the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits. It's almost like he had sent seven ships out into the sea, and each one got its own fresh wind to fill the sails. Each of these churches was birthed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Who was here at the birth of this campus, of this church? Not many of you. Yeah, like maybe 10 or 15%. The rest of you have come since then, which is awesome. I remember when we were in this room for the very first time. Oh my gosh, I just started, almost started crying right now thinking about it. The presence of the Holy Spirit was so rich and thick in this room. The whole process of launching this campus, man, it was like wind coming and filling the sail of a sailboat. It was awesome. Those of you who are here, I see your heads nodding. Somehow this church in Sardis forgot that the way that they were born, the way that their church came into existence was with the Spirit of God. They stopped relying on him. They might have been disconnected from the Father. They seemed to have forgotten the gospel, but they stopped relying on the Spirit. And I want to look at verse 4 in just a minute here, John, to point out the fact that Jesus not only reminds them that they needed to rely on the Holy Spirit for the birthing of their church, but they also needed to rely on the Holy Spirit for where he was taking them into their good future. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just show up to launch a new church. The Holy Spirit's here with us every day, working in us. The New Testament calls this sanctification. He's purifying us. He's, in fact, what he's doing, this Holy Spirit, is he's making us holy. The Holy Spirit is in us, working in us and through us as a congregation, making us holy. You know how the New Testament describes our final meeting with Jesus in heaven? This is pretty awesome. It's written throughout the New Testament. It says it's going to be like a wedding day where we are like the bride of Christ and we are going to be presented before him in pure white robes to represent the fact that he's been purifying us and making us holy. And he's going to be presented like our bridegroom and we're going to be with Jesus forever in a perfect covenant, way better than any earthly marriage. Jesus is reminding the church in Sardis that just as they relied on the Holy Spirit to birth their church, they need to rely on the Holy Spirit for sanctification. Let's now go to verse 4 and see this description. Think about that wedding. Think about where God is taking this whole thing called the church. Listen to what he says again. He says, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they, this is Jesus talking, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Go to the next verse. The one who conquers, in other words, the one who stays awake, will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his and her name before my father and before his angels. Who's been to a wedding recently? What color was the bride wearing? White. Yes. You see, the weddings we now go to are just a picture of this eternal wedding that we're all going to be invited to. The Holy Spirit is working in us and through us, purifying us, sanctifying us, making us holy, readying us for the day when we will meet our eternal groom. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit in order for that to happen. If we don't, we're at risk of falling asleep 
this is worth waiting up for, of meeting our groom in this way. You know, this can be really clarifying, especially for new Christians, when we realize that God's job is to make us holy. Because a lot of times we walk around thinking, it's God's job to make me happy. <laughs> right? And we're disappointed when, I have, when hardship comes my way, when I'm not getting my dreams fulfilled. We're like, I thought God's job was to make me happy. What's going on? No, his job is to make us holy. And sometimes he does that through hardship. Sometimes he does that through disappointment. But he's preparing us for this day when we will meet with our groom forever. Now, we've been talking a little bit in the abstract about the church. We've got to keep the church awake. We've got to keep the church alive. The church is the bride of Christ. But I just want to, speak, just want to close up right now thinking about us all as individuals. Just, just personalize this for just a minute. Because the church is just made up of you and me. When we talk about the church reconnecting with the Father, remembering the Son, and relying on the Holy Spirit, we're talking about ourselves. We need to do those things. Is there anyone here whose spiritual life has drifted to sleep just a little bit? Is there an aspect of your faith it's just a little bit of an ember that you need Jesus to fan back into flame, to breathe life back into you. Does anyone here have sails that are just kind of limp in the breeze? You need him to breathe upon you and give his Holy Spirit back to your life that sets sail. If we as a church are ever going to fall asleep, if we're ever going to become dead spiritually, it's going to happen because some of us or many of us or even all of us haven't reconnected with the Father remembered the Son and what He's done for us or relied on the Holy Spirit. So who's going to join me on this? Who wants to stay awake for the wedding feast? So let's hold each other accountable. Let's stay alive. We're alive right now as a congregation. Praise God. But let's hold each other accountable to stay awake for what Jesus has for us in the end. Amen.